You're listening to the Reconciling Hope Podcast, where the leadership team of Gospel Hope Church discusses how the Bible transforms our beliefs, actions, and impacts our relationship with God and with others. Well, hey, Gospel Hope, and welcome back to another episode of the Reconciling Hope Podcast. Um, uh, Happy New Year to you, for those that we have not had a chance to speak to just yet. Um, hope that your 2021 is kicking off well. And uh, hey, it is for us at Gospel Hope. And if you've been following uh, the messages, you know that we've uh, started a brand new series for the year, but it's not a brand new series for us as a church. Uh, every year we kick off with our identity series because we really want to start the year by just laying some foundation for who we are as a church and what shapes us, what are our identities uh, as we call it. So uh, for those of you that that are new to Gospel Hope, we've got this handful of six identities, these uh, principles that we see readily appearing on the pages of scripture that shape um, our identity in Christ and they should drive our activity um, as believers. And so as a major emphasis uh, for 2021, we at Gospel Hope are talking about what it means to be together, together. And uh, Ryan, you provided us with just kind of the first of, of uh, a series of messages on this topic or for this year together through the lens of our identities. And the title of it was Alloyed, Alloyed, um, I think. And I was, I was really, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to it yet, go back and listen to it. Um, I was really impacted by that. One, I love stories and technical stuff and just the whole idea of what an alloy is. So, uh, right, I'll just start off with, man, would you just kind of, for those who may not have listened to the message yet, kind of really help us appreciate why you thought that alloy illustration was so important to help us understand this idea of together? Yeah, one of the, uh, you know, most flexible and useful uh, building materials that we have is steel. And if you know anything about steel, it's not a naturally occurring element. It's an alloy, which means it's the combination of two things. And the reason why people use steel in building and for all kinds of applications is because it's actually stronger than its components are separately. So steel is made of iron and carbon. And uh, when you combine those things, it actually produces a better product as it were and I, I think that's a wonderful picture of the church where God takes uh, a diversity of people and brings them together and it's because you know the scripture consistently teaches us that that we are better together than we are apart and so in keeping with that you made that statement during the message we are better together than apart so if that's the case why is it that there is such a great temptation to kind of go it alone? You know what I mean? And going it alone can be everything from people whose ecclesiology doesn't involve belonging to a local church, saying that that concept isn't really biblical or isn't overtly stated like church membership, mm-hmm. or whether it is, uh, you know, there's a variety of different things that make people go it alone, whether they're burnt out. But why do people feel like going it alone is the best idea when the Bible clearly makes it uh, makes the case that we're better together. Right. I, I would say that a a big part of that is just sin. Um, I mean, sin turns us in on ourselves. It shrinks our world to mm. the size of us. And we see that from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. Mm. What happens? Adam and Eve sin. And the first thing Adam does is he throws Eve under the bus. 
Hmm. And then God says to Eve, Eve, what is this you've done? And what does Eve do? She points the finger at, at the serpent. And so yeah. I think that's part of it. Like when we, when we want to go our own way, which is in one sense, the essence of sin, going our own way, we isolate ourselves. And so I think that's a real temptation in all of our hearts where, um, you, you know, we think at some level that we know better than God. And then on the flip side, it's just like, man, relationships are hard. They're time consuming and costly. And, um, you know, sometimes our, our selfishness, our sin reveals itself in not like um, active aggression towards other people, mm. but in just withdrawal from them. Um, because it's just easier. It's easier if, if, if I only have to keep the counsel of me, myself, and I. Um, but the Lord has not called us to an easy life. He's called us to an abundant life. And part of that abundant life is living in community with others. We are actually better together, but that doesn't mean that's easier. Yeah, yeah. What, somewhat of a curveball, and I'm just going to lob it out there. You're good at this. Um, what do you say to the person who... Um, goes, well, you know what, man, I've had these experiences in the mission field where we didn't have the congregational option. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, that kind of gathering was either illegal and man, the church thrived. I grew in my faith, even though I was kind of a solo practitioner and that was just some of the best seasons and growth in my life. So a person who's been in another cultural context where not necessarily being together the way we are in the West was ideal and they point to that experience as a reason why they don't need to be together here. What do you say to that person? Mm-hmm. I would say um, I'm not necessarily arguing mm-hmm. that togetherness means, hey, we need to do it just like we're doing it, you know, traditionally in 21st century America. That, that's not what I'm saying. You mm-hmm. know, even COVID has reminded us that our functional ecclesiology in some ways needs to be able to flex with Mm -hmm. the context that the Lord finds that we find ourselves in. However, I would say that there, there is a um, kind of sin qua non of the church. There are some non-negotiables and theologians have debated about this and there's a lot written on this, but here's what I would say, like Christians Um, If you really want to be a a local church, Christians need to gather together under the word with with pastoral leadership in some way. Um, Doesn't mean a a person has to go to seminary to start a church. It doesn't mean you have to have letters or degrees behind your name. But it does mean there needs to be some sort of spiritual leadership and, and congregational accountability to one another that hey, we're not just believers bumping into one another in the grocery store, but we're actually committed to doing our life together and holding one another accountable to living out that life. There's more that could be said about that, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think that's really critical. And the other thing is sometimes you talk to these, um, you, you know, sometimes you talk to folks who have spent time on the mission field or in some unreached people and there really is oftentimes a longing in them to be able to gather with other believers. Um, and then I would just say, biblically, you go to the book of, of Titus. And so there's missionary work going on there. So Paul apparently is able to plant these churches or pa- Paul and his ministry team 
is able to start all of these churches. But then he writes the book of Titus to his ministry protege. And he's basically saying, we've left some things undone there. And what is it? He says, Titus, go back to all of these churches and ordain elders in every city. So in one sense, a church is not fully formed until there is some sort of um, qualified called leadership that is giving direction and oversight. And I'm not arguing that because, you know, Rod, you and I need jobs. That's, that's, not, that's not where I'm coming from from this. I, I really think that there is a People need pastors. Churches need pastors and pastors need churches. There's yeah. this re reciprocal uh, relationship that goes on. And that's part of God's design. Not, you know, we didn't think this up, basically. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, another idea. Um, you, you said um, hey, one way to love outsiders is to allow them to see us loving one another. Can you mm -hmm. unpack that uh, a little bit more? What is it about us loving one another that would be a, a, a loving gesture to outsiders? Yeah, I mean, John 13, 35, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And we even know that to be practically true. So let me let me use the illustration. I didn't throw this in the message, but I, I was thinking about it. So suppose, um, you know, suppose the, the Dewberry family was um, getting ready to adopt a teenage child. And right now you have two teenagers. Or is Doria 20 now? Uh, no, she'll be 20 in June. Okay, so you have two teenagers right now. Yeah. So let's say, you know, this 17-year-old mm -hmm. was, was you were inviting them to be a part of your family. Well, what would be the most compelling way for them to see that being part of the Dewberry family is great? It's not by loving all of these people out here um, you know, it would be by really loving your children. And mm -hmm. as you love those children, that child would be, man, that's compelling. I want to be a part of this family because I see that's love. Uh, I see that love that's present there. Now, that's not to say that believers should only love other believers, but the Bible does make this emphasis like, hey, do good to everyone. And then it goes on and says, especially those of the household of faith. So, mm -hmm. you know, another kind of familial example you know, a, a little while ago, my son had a, a a little birthday party and a few of his friends came over. Well, why those kids were in my house, like, you know, I'm being kind to them and being gracious to them. And I can genuinely say, I love them. But at the mm -hmm. end of the day, I love my children, my children in a different way than I love, you know, all the children, the friends of my children. So I, I think, I think we understand that, um, that, love for one another is actually compelling to outsiders. I mean, I, 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 I definitely can see that. I love the analogy about the, um, inviting others into your household and, the, and a, a, a prospective adopted child being able to see how I love my family. They'd be yeah. more attracted to that than any other external acts of benevolence, so to speak, that they could mm -hmm. see me caring about. No, good stuff. Um, so, hey, um, so in all of this, as we talk about being better together, um, is there anything happening in the world right now that really stood high in your mind, even if you didn't mention it in the message, that kind of makes this kind of teaching just really appropriate? What, what was, is there a moment or something going on that, that we need to be thinking about as we think through this message? Well, I think our culture right now is still very divided. 
I mean, mm-hmm. we're through the election season. And so I think things have calmed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there's still some real rifts in our society. Yeah. And I think just reminding Christians that, you know, we have Christ in common yeah. and, and that is enough. It's not that we don't care about these other things or have opinions or even disagreements. Um, it's that we say, hey, fundamentally, um, we are united on the things that matter most. And I, I think that's really important right now to remember as even people who really love Jesus are finding themselves on um, different sides of different issues. We need to recognize that that's okay um, yeah. because we have Christ in common and that's sufficient. What would you say to the, a person who goes, yeah, that's right, Ryan, we don't have to agree on everything. So I'm just gonna choose to go to a church that essentially all of the congregants have my same political ideation or my same ethnic hue. Um, What would you say to that person who goes, yeah, I agree, spot on. That's why I'm gonna go to an all white church with more conservative whatever, or I'm gonna go to an all black church with more blue orientation, if you will, in some of the way that they preach and think. What would you say to a person that's using what you just said as a validation for that kind of cultural segregation, if I can use yeah. such a dirty word, you know? Yeah, I would say, hey, th- there's nothing in the scripture that explicitly would forbid you from doing that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't think there's any commands that say that. And again, you know, we're talking about 21st century American context versus the, the biblical, yeah. but I would I would offer a word of caution and a word of encouragement. The word of caution would be, we have to be careful that we're not just going into echo chambers and, and hearing the parts of scripture that um, we, we, hearing the parts of scripture uh, or, or the truths in scripture that we already firmly believe without being challenged on the parts of scripture that we need to really apply in our lives better. Um, mm. So we can be guilty of, you know, confirmation bias. I think you even said that word where, where we're just going in and trying to get people to kind of pat us on the back and give us kudos. And I think if that's how our churches are, we're never going to be like kind of the, the countercultural voice that we need to be. We're just going to align with one group or another. And, and we, this world is not our home. We live in another kingdom. And part of that is we have values um, that don't match up fully with this place either Mm. side of the aisle either generation we we don't we don't quite fit and i think being in a diverse group of people um enables that and i I said this in the message that part of the beauty of the church is its diversity like that is part of the beauty of it and that would kind of be the second the encouragement man my life has been made better uh it's been enriched that's the best word i can think of my perspective has been broadened my appreciation of the scripture has been deepened. My love for the whole body of Christ has been enhanced by really intentionally doing my life with people from different ethnicities, different um, generations, different political stances than myself. I, I, I appreciate that. And I think I follow Jesus better um, because I'm not just my own counselor I'm not just going to echo chambers to have my biases confirmed. Um, Yeah, I I can't say that loudly enough. Like part of the beauty of the body of Christ is its diversity. 
And if, if you only hear all the time perspectives that you already agree with, then you're probably not growing. You're probably just stuck um, and, and, and saying the same things over and over again. Yeah. So you use a key word there, growth. Um, we as a church often talk about growing in three primary relationships, growing in our relationship with God, growing in our relationship with one another, and obviously growing in our relationship with the world. Which one of those kind of cues or spokes of growth uh, do you feel like was center stage during this message? Well, you know, it was really all three in this one. I mean, that was my point, like growing together, you know, in the gospel as a family while on mission. But if I had to put an emphasis on one, you know, that theme of together, uh, mm -hmm. growing in our relationship with other believers is, is really what I was enhancing there. And in the sense of like, man, when we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we need to do it with other believers. When we grow um, in our relationship with other believers, obviously that's a team effort. When we grow on mission, that's something that we should not be doing as individuals, but as a collective. Gotcha. There's a person out there, I'm certain listening to this, that's thinking about what you said earlier, how in this current cultural moment, some of the divides have been exacerbated, even if they're not at front page. I mean, some, there are some of the divides that have been really exacerbated. What from this message can this person import into their lives as a reconciling hope of the gospel? Yeah, I mean, the church was created to display the reconciling hope of the gospel. I mean, Ephesians mm -hmm. is just loaded with this idea that mm -hmm. the mystery, the beauty of the church is that Jews and non-Jews, where there was some deep divides, were brought together by faith in Christ. And you can say the same thing in our cultural moment. Republicans and Democrats, blacks and whites, young and old, were brought together through Christ to be in this one body. And then it it has that statement there in verses four through six. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, it just one, 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 over and over that you are unif unified because of Jesus and therefore make every effort to maintain the unity through the bond of peace. So I think there's hope. And, and here's the reality. Like, again, I didn't say this in the message, but we've experienced that. There have been conversations. There have been disagreements in our church. But overall, I would say the tenor of Gospel Hope Church has been, hey, we don't agree on everything, but we agree on the fundamental things, and yeah. we are better together. And it's just been a joy to see, even through this really hard season of 2020, and the deep dividing walls that have been in our society, our church, I think, has grown stronger together. Yeah, I, those what you just said reminds me of one of the more impactful statements that you made at the close of the message, which is we're, we're called to, and you can help me polish this up, we're called to uh, develop unity based on truth and not uniformity based on kind of appearances or preferences or surface level issues. And, and I think there is a great temptation to think that unity is uniformity. Well, I need right. to go to church because it looks pretty uniform. Everybody here looks like me, thinks like me, but that's not what the Bible calls us to, not uniformity calls us to unity. So that was a really impactful point for me. I don't know if you want to kind of sharpen that a little bit or say more about it. Well, no, you got it. And, it, yeah. you know, a uniform church does not display the reconciling hope of the gospel as clearly mm -hmm. as a diverse, unified church. Because um, yeah. people can get, unified people can get together on all kinds of issues. 
but diversified, diverse, unified people really need something powerful to bring them together. Okay, amen. I agree with that. So, so hey, I mean, for for those of you out there listening, I don't know if this this kind of conversation really kind of raises your antennas, but we're going to have more of them to come as we work through the remainder of our identities and really uh, strike this chord of togetherness throughout the year. But uh, Pastor Ryan, thank you again for. Uh, sharing God's word uh, with us around this, uh, this again, this idea of alloy being better together. So looking forward to the other uh, series of messages, should be five, right, in the series that, that work out from here, uh, covering the remainder of our identities. Four. Amen. Yep. Yeah, four more. So, um, well, hey, um, praise God for all of you who listen in, both uh, both via podcast here or you, you, you meet with us online or you gather in person. Uh, we look forward to hanging out with you again next week. See y'all. Thank you for listening to the Reconciling Hope podcast. Be sure to subscribe for future content on podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Gospel Hope Church is located in Atlanta, Georgia, with the mission of making disciples who are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. If you're interested in learning more, tune into our Facebook Live services Sundays at 11 a.m., or check out gospelhopechurch.com.